Hey y'all. Hello, hello, hello. Um, happy Friday. It is about 9.03 a.m. here in um Colorado. Um I'm in Colorado for this um workshop I was invited to participate in called Future Organisms, and it's around kind of imagining uh multi-species flourishing. Um, and multi-species communication and collaboration uh, and, and, and the practices we may need to, um, the practices we may need to invite into our ways of being in order to enable multi-species flourishing. So more on that workshop later, I may do some sort of like writing reflection in Monday's newsletter. Um, but today, I am kind of like reading and recapping um, last Monday's new, last Tuesday's newsletter that I published um, on May 16th. And it's about the whitewashing in AI ethics. Uh, and it is titled Surprise They're Late. Subtitle No Surprise Black Feminism is Right on Time, right? No surprise at all. So, I'm sure you all feel it. Conversations about AI seem inescapable these days. Um, inescapable these days. Uh, maybe you're just joining the conversation, or maybe you're like Dr. Sophia Noble and Dr. Ruha Benjamin, and you've been thinking about it for a long time. Last week, I read another article authored by Eric Schmidt, warning us about the potential harm of AI. Followed some, followed by some proposed solutions, and this was like um, an Atlantic article about um, the potential AI harms as it related to social media. Uh, and my eyes rolled like an inevitability of physics, right? Because as I think about this former Google CEO performing this posture of care and benefiting from the risky whistleblowing Black feminists were doing while he was slash is still in bed with Google, right? He's still, he's still um, tangled in that, in, in, in that web. And um, what I have to do in these moments is pull out all of my practices to stop my blood from boiling, just thinking about what happened to, um, to Annette Gebru um, when she like shorted the circuits at, at Google, or when I think about the gaslighting that Dr. Sophia Noble powered through while she was developing her dissertation. Um, in an article, uh, Sophia Noble knew the algorithm was oppress oppressive, written by um, Michelle Ruiz. She writes, Noble was met with resistance when she first wrote the dissertation that became Algorithms of Oppression as a PhD student at the University of Illinois at Urbana, uh, campaign in 2020 or 2012. Uh, she said there were faculty along the way who said things like this research isn't real. Uh, it's impossible for algorithms to discriminate because algorithms are just math and math can't be racist. Uh, she remembers these the, 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 the this feedback um, and Noble pushed back they were value systems that were being encoded mathematically. Uh, 
But she pushed back, accepting, you know, every single invite she received to talk about her work and naming every single one of those talks algorithms of oppression, branding her message and in a meta twist, making it Googleable, right? So she is like literally shifting the culture um, of AI ethics, uh, shifting the culture of AI concern in general, right? Like she, it, it it's very easy for these innovations to be normalized. Um, and she was pushing back and giving talks, pushing back on this like normalization and naturalization of AI being a part of our lives. And while Dr. Sophia Noble was fighting for the validity of her research and cultivating cultural concern, Eric Schmidt was the chief executive officer at Google and later became the executive chairman. Uh, and due to the commitment to care rooted in the research of Dr. Ruha Benjamin, Dr. Sophia Noble, uh, Temnet Gibru, and many, many others, right? Powerful white men like Eric get to perform thought leadership in a cultural and media landscape where concern around AI and algorithmic bias is normalized thanks to the work Black feminists cared enough to share while simultaneously being attacked. I bring my blood to a simmer because the boil is unsustainable. This is just how it goes. The laboratory of racial capitalism presents some quote-unquote innovation Right? Black feminists do the care work of researching and calling out the possibilities of harm while risking their careers and mental health. Then years later, right, some white guy represents, whitewashes a watered down version of the black feminist research. And he authors the articles, he writes the books, and he may even start a new company collecting the harvest from the seed of Black feminist sacrifice, risk, and care. So what time is it on the clock of the world um, to invoke uh, Grace Lee Boggs, right? What time is it on the clock of the world? I'm trusting Black feminists to tell it because who else has to watch the, the clock more closely? Human computers constantly telling the time and bracing us for inevitable futures. So I have a few questions for y'all, dear listeners, dear readers. Um, here are my questions. What if we replaced our current quote unquote dominant aesthetic of innovation, um, to use the language of Ruha Benjamin, what if we replaced our current dominant aesthetic of innovation with black feminist technologies of care, right? What do we build if we start with Black feminism as the framework for software development? Not the insatiable needs of capitalism, right? What if we start with the Black with Black feminism as a framework for software development? What tools of mutual aid, what care technologies get built? What um, you know, what 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 uh, what platforms of belonging get get cultivated and tended tended to? Uh, the last question is, is the infinite elasticity of Black feminist care work the band holding it all together? The hint is yes. But I drift off to sleep and I dream about snapping, right? I dream about that band snapping, then wake up the next day and get back to work. 
It's Tuesday morning and the sun has barely kissed this corner of the earth. The red winged blackbird singing outside my window reminds me. My flight boards at 3.30 p.m. headed to Denver, Colorado for a week-long workshop where the participants and I will create a post-future punk catalog of multi-species responsibilities. A week-long workshop reflecting on our power and positionality as it relates to bioengineering research and development. The irony of showing up to a workshop for imagining responsible bioengineering, wearing leather margellas and having left a sizable trail of CO2 emissions to get there is an awkward reality I'll worry about a little later. For now, I'm thinking about all the energy, expensive research and human computing indigenous and black feminist folks are doing around the inevitable harm of biotechnology and biopower. For now, I'm thinking about the inevitable white folks that will show up with solutions to problems they created. Where are we on the clock of SynBio, biotechnology, bioengineering, et cetera? I'm not sure, but I rest knowing Black feminism is always, 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 always right on time. So that was um, a reading from the newsletter posted on May 16th titled Surprise They're Late. I invite you to um, go check out that article because there's like actual links embedded within the R within the newsletter to, to various articles. And there's also some footnotes citing um, Grace Lee Boggs and James Boggs um, and a Ruha Benjamin quote uh, from Race After Technology Abolitionist Tools for the New Gym Code. But um, I also want to shout out the Algorithmic Justice League um, founded by Joy Bulawini. Um, that, that, that's a, that, that, that's a like organization, um, and a black feminist that I didn't cite in the article, but I wanted to shout out their work. Um, their work was also shouted out in, um, a tech-ish podcast, um, that was also published on May 16th. Um, I had, I, I like it's like it's it's weird that we're all like simultaneously thinking about this because I wrote this I wrote this um newsletter May 16th I think I woke up at like 6 or 7 a.m to write the newsletter before my flight um and then I like checked my podcast newsfeed and saw that techish published a podcast the same exact day um, with the title, the black woman, the the black women who predicted AI risk. So check out that podcast because they also talk about this article that I'm going to wrap up this podcast episode talking about, which is uh, an article published by the New York Times with the title, "The Godfather of AI Leaves Google and Warns of Danger Ahead." The subtitle is for a half a century. Joffrey Hinton nurtured the technology at the heart of chatbots like ChatGPT, and now he worries it will cause serious harm. Um, this article was published May 1st. Um, and what I really want to do is like, <laughs> I just 
just want to dig into a couple of quotes from this article because it is fascinating to me. It is fascinating to me the ways in which um, white men are really, really given the longest leash to do whatever, whatever it is they want, right? And it's 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 welcome with accolades and rewards and millions of dollars. And then when it turns out that <laughs> that work can literally end our species, they are also welcomed with open arms and articles and accolades. And I'm sure, I'm sure Jeffrey Hinton is working on a book. Um, I'm sure Jeffrey Hinton is um, starting some sort of AI ethics consulting firm or something, right? Like, so it's like the the social um, allowances that white men get inside of capitalism is, is, is it never stops being mind boggling to me and like, uh, and like jolting to me. So, um, there's a couple of like quotes from this article that I just want to read aloud in, in relation to, um, a, a last or this week's newsletter. Um, I want to sit these, these pull out quotes from these articles alongside, um, the newsletter, the Cedar School newsletter that I just wrote. But but first, I want to just reread the subtitle of this article. Um, for half a century, Joffrey Hinton nurtured the technology at the hat at the heart of chat box like Chat GPT, and now he worries it will cause serious harm. Um, perhaps half a century he nurtured this technology, and then on May first. On May 1st, he um, reversed course. And um, I bring up like the possibility of writing books, right? Because Eric Schmidt, the CEO of um, Google, recently came out with um, a book on AI, um, AI as well. So the first quote, the first, the first, I'm just going to read a series of quotes, right? So um most of this, the the following readings will be directly from the article. So first one is Jeffrey Hinton or Joffrey Hinton was an artificial intelligence pioneer in 2012. Dr. Hinton and two of his graduate students at the University of Toronto created technology that became the intellectual foundation of the AI systems that the tech industry's biggest companies believe is the key to their future. On Monday, however, he officially joined a growing chorus of critics who say those companies are racing toward danger with their aggressive campaign to create products based on generative artificial intelligence, the technology that powers uh, popular chatbots like chat GPT. Dr. Hinton said that he's quit his job at Google where he has worked for more than a decade and became one of the most respected voices in his field so he can freely speak out about the risks of AI harm. A part of him, he said, now regrets his life's work. Okay, so in 2012, uh, Dr. Hinton and two of his graduate students at the university 
of Toronto created technology that became the intellectual foundation of AI systems. Um, and then if we kind of just rewind back to the newsletter article, right? Uh, in 2012, Dr. Sophia Noble was also a PH student at the University of Illinois, where she was basically campaigning against these algorithms of oppression, right? And she was being gaslit and folks were saying, this research isn't real. It's impossible for algorithms to discriminate because algorithms are just math and can't be racist. So while she is being gaslit for her research, and literally going around the country, um, chairing <laughs> uh, talks and giving talks with the title "Algorithm of Oppression," algorithms of oppression. Dr. Hinton and his graduate students are um, literally creating the foundation of ChatGPT, right? So, to return back to the article, the the New York Times article, um, by the way written by um, Cade Metz. The article continues. After the San Francisco startup, OpenAI released a new version of ChatGPT in March. More than a thousand technology leaders and researchers signed an open letter calling for a six-month moratorium on the development of new systems because AI technologies pose profound risk to society and humanity. Seven days later, or several days later, um, 19 current and former leaders of the Association of the Advancement of Artificial Intelligence, a 40-year-old academic society, released their own letter warning of the risk of AI. That group included Eric Horowitz, uh, the chief scientific officer at Microsoft, which has deployed OpenAI's technology across a wide range of products, including Bing's search engine or including its being search engine. So, um, you know, very recently, very recently, um, these folks, these, these folks who have been pioneers, um, who, who have put all sorts of value, um, resources, time, money behind these technologies are now trying to slow down the rate of growth and the rate of adoption. But the article notes that Joffrey Hinton, right, did not sign this um this letter to 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 call for a six-month moratorium because he was still at Google and he did not want to risk, you know, um uh you know being mean to Google uh while he was still an employee, right? He didn't, he didn't, he thought that would be a bad look. Right. So <laughs> what I'm starting to feel and what, what we start to see if we look closely at all of these of series of events is how loud the self-preservation is. Right. The self-preservation is so, so, so loud. But um, the article continues uh, and says Google spent $44 million to acquire a company started by Dr. Hinton and his two students. Right. So Dr. Hinton regrets his life's work, but he also got forty four million dollars. So like, do we I uh, I don't feel sorry for you, Joffrey. I really don't. I'm sorry. Like this. This is so this 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 cyclical violence 
and reward for violence and then reward for like being sorry for your violence is exhausting. So the article goes on, Google spend 44 million to acquire a company started by Dr. Hinton and his two students and their system led to the creation of the increasingly powerful technologies, including new chatbots like ChatGPT and Google's Bard. Um, Mr. Sudvedeker went on to become the chief scientist at OpenAI. He was one of um, Dr. Hinton's students. So, And in 2018, Dr. Hinton and two other longtime collaborators received the Turing Award, often called the Nobel Prize for Computing for their work on neural networks. The article continues. Dr. Hinton said that when people used to ask him how he could work on technology that was potentially dangerous, he would paraphrase Robert Oppenheimer, who led the U.S. effort to build the atomic bomb. And he would quote him saying, when you see something that is technically sweet, you go ahead and do it. The article concludes he does not say that anymore <laughs> i bet you don't quote um the person who led the u.s effort to build the atomic bomb anymore it was very concerning that dr hinton ever did quote a bomb pioneer um inside the context of doing work around artificial intelligence. So the reasons why the whitewashing of AI ethics is so problematic is so problematic is is for um it's for like the, the, there's three reasons, right? So reason number 1 why the why the whitewashing of AI ethics is so problematic is it exacerbates the racial wealth gap, it allows white men to profit off of the labor of black women and black feminists. But, you know, this first reason is like, you know, this is this has been happening since slavery, right? Um, profiting off the labor of black women. Um, the mammification of black feminist care work is nothing new, right? That's old news. That's that's there's no surprise there. But that's reason number one. I I did still want to name that the social position of black women in this country since the beginning or the social position um, of, of, of black women organizers, black feminist organizers since the beginning um, has been like the, the default caretakers of the entire country, the default laborers of the entire country. Um, so there's, there's uh, the whitewashing of AI ethics just kind of reminds us of that. So that's reason number one. Um, Reason number two, the reason why, um, why the whitewashing of AI ethics is so problematic is, and it's a reason among thousands, but these watered down versions of concerns and solutions will almost never go far enough. Like, right, these, these whitewashers lack the live experience and radical willingness to go as far as black feminist research must go, right? We've already seen too much and we know it can always be worse. It can always be worse. So we must go far with our research. We must name the worst case scenarios, right? We must be as clear-eyed about it 
as possible, right? So for example, Ruha Benjamin talks about the harm of AI causes um, through a framework of abolition. And you will never, you will never hear Eric and Joffrey utter the word abolition. And like, I am willing to be wrong about that. I pray I'm wrong about that. I beg, I beg to be wrong about that. But they they, they, they are like repackaging the work of black feminists um, and, and, they're, and they're just not taking it far enough. A six month moratorium is not far enough, right? Um, and here's the third, the third reason. The third reason why the whitewashing of AI ethics is so problematic is because they don't go far enough, we'll end up right where we started or worse, we'll end up making the same mistakes in the next innovation iteration, right? And guess whose job it will clean, it will be to clean up that mess, right? Right, guess who will, and then guess who will benefit from that labor? Guess who will benefit from that ethical cleanup labor, right? And that caretaking labor, right? So the so the cycle of, of 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 like this endless ex extraction of black feminist labor and black feminist imagination and black feminist care work just becomes endless. It becomes endless. And this is why the whitewashing of AI ethics um, is so problematic because it just creates this endless loop of um of exploitation of black feminist of black feminist care work instead of instead of the the, the questions that I invited us into in, inside of this week's newsletter, right? What if we started with the Black feminist framework? Everyone wins, by the way, if we start with a Black feminist framework of, um, of care. Everyone wins in the long run. Um, and, and, and this is why I'm committed to see the school actually being a retreat for tech workers and curious coders and not like an educational coding bootcamp or program built around industry demands, right? Because it is likely that those industrial demands and those industrial needs will forever be at odds with our needs and our safety, right? We've seen that time and time again. We have evidence that if you like outlined in this podcast, right, that we can't trust the um the trends and, and the demands and the needs of the industry to ever prioritize or center our needs. So this is why Cedar School exists, and this is why I'm committed and I insist on it being a retreat um, for our curiosity, for our imagination, um, for 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 um for for practicing um and performing ways that we might build technologies of care. So y'all, this this podcast episode and this to in this week's newsletter, um, you know wasn't celebratory. This isn't this isn't a celebratory newsletter. Maybe it is. Maybe 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 what we are doing is celebrating the enduring work of black feminism. Um this in this enduring um this enduring like stone that we can always touch and, and ground ourselves within. Um so like next week I may have something more celebratory, something more obviously celebratory, but right, honestly the, this week all I have is grief. Um, all I have is grief because uh, more and more it becomes quite clear that the labor is endless and, and um, there is no reprieve or retreat but each other um, 
which may that actually that's a celebration. That's a celebration, right? Um, it's something I was I, I talked about in the work the workshop yesterday. Um, here in Colorado, is that you know the work is carrying both celebration and grief simultaneously. So, um, that is this week's podcast episode on the whitewashing of AI ethics and the enduring care work of Black feminism. Um, I would love to hear y'all's thoughts. I am so, so eager and curious to like be in conversation about this because y'all, this is like, this is, this is, this is, this is like a critically, critically important conversation. Um, and like, I know my takes on it and my, my, um, perception of it isn't the only perception. It isn't the only, um, way of looking at things and way of entering things and approaching things. So uh, please uh, email me at info at cedaschool.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this podcast episode. Um, you can also leave a comment on uh, on this week's newsletter to, to drop some of your opinions um, in text form as well. So until next week, I'll see y'all and talk to y'all. Um, and hear from y'all soon. Have a good week. Bye. Have a good weekend, I should say. All right. Bye, y'all. Take care of yourself. I know I will. <laughs>